what exactly is the energetic body? You know, our energy from a Chinese medicine perspective is what makes us come alive. It makes us who we are. It's why you're Kyle, you're Molly, and you're uh, Patrick. It's at the end of the day, uh, Western medicine focuses on the physical body. So what's your physical body when you leave, but what makes you who you are, that concept of soul or personality, whatever you want to articulate it, is this energy field. This is why some of us are so great at what we do. This is why some of us are not so great at what we do. It's that energetic dynamic of who we are. This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I am so excited for our guest and our topic today. We are going to be talking to Sam Smeltzer. Sam is a HR healer and author of a book called The HR Intuitive, which is available on Amazon. Sam is an HR visionary and healer. Her work has been devoted to employee engagement for over a decade. She believes engagement is a critical component of organizational culture that must be alive and well in all employees. However, what we're going to be talking about today is where engagement begins, and that's as an HR practitioner. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. And I am I am absolutely excited to have you here as well. I think if 2020 has taught us anything in the early parts of 2021, it's that if HR is not engaged, we're going to have some issues. And so yeah. I'd love to explore this topic and I know that it'll be valuable for our listeners. So I, so I want to start off just a little bit um, generally. Just just tell me how you got interested in the subject of engagement and, and ultimately HR engagement. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, you know, when I started, like many who fall into HR, we don't envision being an HR practitioner at the end of our career path. Um, I actually thought I would be in retail management. I actually loved retail. I loved merchandising. Uh, my mom hated that because she was like, why can't you envision being a doctor or a lawyer, but instead you want to fold clothes and make pretty mannequins? Um, and I actually could not get into a clothing retailer and I ended up working in big box home improvement. Um, and I was really enjoying my time there merchandising things like trash cans and five gallon paint cans. Um, and I just loved my job. And I remember really clearly this one day I was sitting in the break room you know, really happy-go-lucky. This is like 19-year-old me um, and listening to the people around me talk about how much they hate their jobs and how horrible it is and how like it never ends. And these people had been with the company for 10 plus years. And I couldn't help but think, my gosh, is this like the, are we destined to be there? Like, is there anything better or is there anything we can do? Um, and I was in college at the time. I was a business management major and I just coincidentally started to my HR management class and I started to realize there's this whole function that's devoted to people. And that's when I went and discovered what HR actually was in my big box retailer. So there was that office back there, but I thought they just did your paperwork and made sure that you had your schedule. <laughs> but there's this whole big function. And I started to become obsessed with the fact that they have the capability to make the workplace better. 
and potentially these people don't have to be miserable. So it started back then that the seed was like initially planted and it just grew. And I've been obsessed with it, especially as engagement is a constant buzzword and we haven't seen any solid practices that we can say, hey, here's the top 10 list. You do these things and your workforce is engaged. It's not changing. So what are we missing? And that's really what's been driving me. Absolutely. We have a similar background. My first job was retail and my first HR job was in a retailer. So, um, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. It, it was uh, fun, challenging, and um, I'm glad I'm not in that world anymore, <laughs> if you want my honest opinion. <laughs> um, that, that's, yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think, I, I, you know, one of the things that's, that was interesting about you said is um, I do think a lot of people still think HR is just about processing paperwork and doing the back office administration and, you know, some of these, some of these things. And so, um, through your career and through some of the, the work that you've done, um, what common things have you seen individuals change in order to kind of get HR more engaged in driving the culture forward and helping people as opposed to just focusing on some of the administrivia? Well, I think that the commonality is when they start to see their position in a more broad perspective. So I think it's really easy for us to obsess about tasks. I mean, HR started because there was a heavy load of personnel tasks that a manager somewhere on the operations side didn't want to do and basically gave it to their administrative assistant. And then it grew from there. Um, And we've never really kind of evolved from that. We kind of took it that's what it is. And some organizations, that's still what it is. You have HR directors who evolved from that administrative position and has just been kind of the catching ground for the tasks that the operations side didn't want to do. And most of them are people related. Uh, And so what I found is when people start to broaden what that definition is, when they realize that I'm responsible for the people, that bleeds into so many different things. It bleeds into almost everything. And almost I'm the I'm the equivalent to operations. I'm the great balance. And when I start pushing from there, um, we start to see a shift. We start to see engagement happen because we start doing little things like going out and talking to people, open door policies. You know, those little things have started to open the doorways to saying, hey, there's something different that happens here. There's an old study done on motivation. Um, I think it was Dr. Mayo, and he basically did this weird study in a light bulb factory that they had solicited for that, that generated the Hawthorne effect, I think is the correct terminology. But uh, they basically wanted to see what lighting was the ideal lighting to make people the most productive. So they basically put these people in this box and they would crank the lights up and then turn them really down low. And regardless of what they did, these people just kept working harder. Um, And Elton Mayo went out and asked the question, and it was because they felt like they were part of something bigger that they started to perform more. So it wasn't a basic need or light dynamic or something like that that we change. Uh, When we focus on our people, we start to generate results that we didn't even know were possible. Uh, And so that's, that's the big commonality I see is when we know that if we focus on the people, we can make a difference, but it takes someone seeing themselves beyond the tasks uh, and luckily, many of us have had mentors that are on the operations side who have get that and see that because they're leaders uh, and they start to kind of pull us on the other side. So that's that's kind of where we're seeing this kind of evolving and why we're now getting the task to be responsible for engagement. <laughs> <laughs> 
the the insurmountable task of hey fix engagement the job that will never be done <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right that's why we should embrace it <laughs> <laughs> how do you sell that to leaders who are resistant or think engagement doesn't matter they're more focused on the bottom line so there's i mean this goes back to hr metrics at its most basic form i mean we have we have continually tried to attach ourselves to the bottom line. The one place we've been successful is obviously from the compliance and the regulatory side. So when we limit that physical risk or we prevent a lawsuit, we can materialize and say we did that. Uh, but we basically impact anything that people are responsible for. So if people are a part of a process we have the ability to impact that number. Uh, and in most cases, it's not just a strict widget, robot, AI kind of situation. However, when you have a leader who is just so obsessed with these direct results, uh, it reminds me, there was an article that this angry, I always envisioned him as angry. I don't know if he was an angry leader, but he basically wrote uh, this article that said, what if I don't want my team to be great? I'm all right with them being okay and good. Uh, and we have that uh, consistently out there. I mean, that's just part of the norms, but we do have leaders that are open to it. So I think twofold, I think number one, you need to know when you're slamming your head up against the wall and things aren't going to change. So I say that with that in mind. But the other piece is don't underestimate that as you are directly drawing those dotted lines that every time, even if you get resistance, you are kind of knocking down the wall. So, you know, you're tapping, you're breaking down some of the, the bricks in that wall and, and you're planting seeds. And it takes a while for us to shift a mindset, especially if you're filling a position that strictly was just you check the boxes and make sure that I don't have to deal with the hassle of the people administrative side. So it's talking to those leaders. It's sharing your perspective. It's educating them because you legit see things through a different lens. And I would make the argument and I'm not a neuroscientist, but I think HR's brain works completely different than anyone that excels on the operations side. We just see things completely different. And how can you expect them to support you and get to your side if they can't make that link and bridge that gap by seeing what you are seeing? So it's almost an educating and a reverse mentoring that happens with these leaders. Um, but then also recognizing from a healthy perspective when you're slamming your head up against the wall, making no progress when maybe this is just not an organization that has any interest in doing what you're envisioning. That's interesting insight. And I'm actually really curious about Patrick and Kyle's perspective because they came from the operations. But before you go into that, Patrick, I, I gotta say one of my biggest um, way, I don't wanna say ways, but one thing that I always really like to do is any CEO I meet or any like business leader, I always ask them just, what is your number one problem facing the business today? And nine times out of 10, it's people. And that's where I think we can then start that conversation. Okay, great. Uh, people is my expertise, right? Um, human resources, let me help you. Let's figure out a game plan. And uh, that's something that I found that has worked very well. That's awesome, Molly. Yeah. Patrick, what's your take on, and Kyle, what's your take on the um, difference in mental thought from operations leader to HR and, and making that shift? I think it starts from my end on figuring out 
on the supervisor level, mainly the frontline supervisor level, what, um, you know, what's their motivation? What, what do they really want out of their jobs and out of their people? When you find those little nuggets, then you can pull in maybe the little wins. What we did where I work, not in my previous role, but where I've been here for the past eight years now is we actually, you know, it's, it's, you call it the fluff, but we actually created an employee engagement committee which we pulled employees, about a dozen dozen of them from all different areas of the building and department to kind of be the spokesperson on behalf of their department. And that way we're getting the ideas from different areas. Some always work, some don't. Um, but I think that helps with the buy-in with those frontline supervisors. Um, you know, like I said, it, it sometimes, you know, for the most part, it goes well, the events are fun. Um, but if you can get that frontline supervisors buy-in, then that helps a little, a little more. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an interesting, interesting tangent, but you know, from my perspective coming from the, the world of operations, um, into HR, I actually think I would be a much less effective HR practitioner if I didn't have that experience, but it's an interesting tangent because I, I do think that I'm wired differently than a lot of operations people, but I also can think in those terms as it relates to business outcomes, uh, execution, you know, get stuff done. Um, so I don't know, Patrick, maybe you and I just think a little bit differently than most HR people too. And <laughs> that I get, I get, I, I don't necessarily always get the fluffy side as my, I get a little bit more excited about progress results, getting stuff done, winning, you know, I'm, I'm fairly competitive, um, as opposed to, you know, everybody gets a trophy kind of a thing. So I don't know. I think, it, and it also, I think it varies widely by industry. I mean, we're both in manufacturing. So, you know, that brand of HR, that approach tends to work for me. One of our biggest engagement problems is just what you were saying, that trophy, like these people that are not top performers feel like they're not recognized as much as they should be. Uh, so we get a lot of fluff there. I'm curious, um, Patrick, and also Sam, like what are some, because we also have an engagement committee type um, program. And sometimes I'm like, okay, how, how should I best run this meeting? What is that? What should that look like? So I'm curious if you guys have any best practices on how you utilize those groups to truly make results. So, you know, when it comes to running those meetings, it's really interesting um, because I remember back in the day, I worked for uh, a company called Ollie's Bargain Outlets, Good Stuff Cheap. Uh, they recently went public, so now more people kind of know they exist. Uh, but I was responsible for a team called the Fun at Ollie's Squad, the FAO Squad, and we were responsible for engagement. And when we would run those meetings, I would do kind of pulling from my old HR toolbox of, you know, the, the fluffier or the softer side of HR. And we would plan uh, potlucks and things like that. And we would basically be glorified party planners. Um, but what I think what when we're thinking about engagement committees, I mean, I think, you know, we don't have the answers for everything. If you have the collective that is uh, representative of your organization, you have the ability to generate the solutions for engagement in that space. And so they should almost be like these think tanks of that are really, really safe spaces to generate ideas on what would shift. And yes, it might start off with these fun kind of things that we can do. 
Um, but at some point, those things are going to trickle down. And then you have to start talking about, okay, what is engagement? Like, how do you define engagement? I mean, this is a buzzword that we all talk about, but what really happens? We know that you're productive, maybe you're happy. Like, does it mean that you love your job and you do everything for your job? No, I, I mean, I don't agree with that definition. You know, how does your your employees, how do your teams define what does an engaged employee look like? Well, how do they act at work? And why do they act that way? What do they have? Is it all strictly financially driven uh, extrinsic rewards or is there an intrinsic piece that's missing? Like, do we not feel like we have a cause or a legacy we're leaving behind? I mean, because that's a whole nother conversation on engagement rather than we just feel like no one sees us or I don't get an award. Even though I work really hard, I'm never going to get to the sales goal of Eddie, who just is like monumentally killing it every month. Um, so I think flip the script and use that space to facilitate and just get curious and using these people as your researchers to generate possible solutions and, um, and ideas that maybe you've never even thought of because they have different lenses. This is what we were just talking about. We all come with different lenses, you know, operations transition to HR, we see things differently. Um, we see things differently based off of industry. So let's share and see what comes out of it. Yeah. And I love the, uh, I, I love the, the context of being part of something bigger. Um, and I, and I think about, you know, I, I think about that as a definition of engagement. I agree. It's such a buzzword. Uh, but I, but I want to shift gears a little bit and and dive into uh, an, an area that we have not talked about on the Rebel HR podcast, which is Chinese medicine. Uh, so um, we had an interesting uh, back and forth here before we we clicked record, um, and I'd love to understand a little bit more about some of your your research into that that realm and some of the correlations between that and uh, the work that we do in HR. Yeah, so um, obviously I said that my passion for engagement, I think, just kept going, increasing in momentum. I think I was getting frustrated when I realized that I couldn't figure out this formula. Um, I went and got my master's in training and development, and I thought for sure, you know, they would give me this magical answer. I could uncover it. Uh, I switched industries, went from retail to healthcare, and I thought for sure, you know, these people have this grand purpose. They save lives. Like I could find engagement solutions there. And what I found was uh, basically I was disengaging almost on this cycle, like almost on a three to five year cycle. I would disengage in my work because I would get so ticked off that I was basically just going through motions that weren't really generating any organizational change that I thought was substantial. Um, at the last cycle, uh, my husband nudged me and said, well, why don't you just, we have the, the savings. Why don't you just go out on your own and, and, and just do your ideal. And I said, I don't even know what that is. Like, it's really easy when we live in our bubble and then to, um, have to navigate the organizational dynamics. But if I'm the one that creates it all, like, I, I don't know what that's going to be like. Um, and so what I found was, yeah, I quit my job and I started a business, but really what I did was I started research on me being the guinea pig of how do I maximize my engagement, knowing that there's no one else I can blame. So if I hate my job three years from now, I've created my job and the culture and the team and all of that. Um, and so as I was doing it, it was really fascinating. I was networking with other HR colleagues um, and I started to realize that like, no one was talking about their own engagement in their work. We were all talking about how to engage everybody else, but what about how they feel about their work? Because if you're not really jazzed about it, if there's pieces that are missing for you, like how are you supposed to lead the charge? 
Um, and so that really started sending me down this like self-help hole. And I went to all these self-help seminars that are out there. That industry is booming, just looking for things that maybe could cross over. Um, I even went to all these holistic expos saying like someone has to have the answer. Like we don't reinvent the wheel. We really just pull from different avenues of knowledge. Um, and when I was in holistic, what caught my attention, and I remember I was in this, I was in this pretty woo-woo certification event. Like I was really out of my comfort zone. And they were talking about energy and feeling it and taking care of it. And I was like, okay, this is weird. Like, this is weird. But there's but I couldn't deny that as we were going through these strange exercises, that I was feeling something. Um, and so I started to dive and like play looking for something that was a little more substantial. Um, and what I found was Chinese medicine has been around for 5,000 years. It's been somewhat coming into, uh, complementing Western medicine with acupuncture, acupressure. We're seeing those talked about, um, there started to be this, there was this branch that came to my awareness called Qigong. Uh, which is energy work. It's all like basically what that holistic woo-woo uh, event that I went to, <laughs> it was that, but combined with some logical and some science-based knowledge that was there. Uh, and so I signed up and went to this to this seminar, expected to be trained by, um, I don't know who I thought would be the mastermind behind a Qigong class, but it's this six foot five skinny white guy uh, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania is one of the top teachers in the country. And I walked in um, and he he changed my world. He gave me these missing puzzles that I, puzzle pieces that I think I've been searching for. And that was what exactly is the energetic body? You know, our energy from a Chinese medicine perspective is what makes us come alive. It makes us who we are. It's why you're Kyle, you're Molly and you're, uh, Patrick, it's at the end of the day, uh, Western medicine focuses on the physical body. So what's your physical body when you leave, but what makes you who you are, that concept of soul or personality, whatever you want to articulate it is this energy field. This is why some of us are so great at what we do. This is why some of us are not so great at what we do. It's that energetic dynamic of who we are. And so the thought of taking care of it, where do we learn about that? <laughs> and when we don't take care of it, what happens to the body? And so he's here teaching about this. Like if you don't, if you don't release your anger, your liver's going to act up and you're going to, you're going to want to probably engage in some more alcoholic beverages or some processed foods to calm that liver down. And I sat there, I remember listening to that and I said, but I'm not an angry person. I'm a nice, kind person. He said, well, it can't just be your anger. What if you're around angry people? What if you deal with frustrated, angry people on a regular basis? Oh, you mean like doing like a mass layoff where I had to terminate like 50 people in a two week period? Yeah, all that's living in your liver. And then I said, well, what do we do in HR? Hmm. We love our happy hours. We love. <laughs> yes, we do. In a beverage. <laughs> We were just talking about yeah, this before we hit. Record. I know, and like, and and you know, we have these. Uh, I all of my really close friends. I had a really tough day today. All these people, I did have these tough conversations, and I can't eat my salad. I got, I gotta go find some comfort food. That's that. That's that liver acting up. Um, 
so it was just fascinating. And as I kept going, it just opened more and more like it's our energetic body. And then the collective of all of us is what creates culture. Um, and so we've never been trained in how to care for it for ourselves or for the organization. That's fascinating. And I just think it's such a it's such a different way of thinking than what, what we're used to in Western medicine, which is diagnose it and then medicate it, right? It, it's a problem that needs, that needs you know, solved and, and you fix it with, you know, technological means as opposed to thinking about more holistic uh, approaches. So, you know, I know, you know, most people um, in HR may have experienced negativity from others at, at one point or another through their, their job or... Uh, in some cases, that's pretty much the entire job. So, so how do we protect our energy through some of those challenging and, you know, gut wrenching situations that just are part of the job description? Yes. Yeah, so, um, and so, what's really interesting about this, and you know, I wish that I could have documented me going into these training sessions because I truly was the skeptic. I mean, I'm sitting in this space with these holistic practitioners and nurses. And then here's this HR lady. And I don't even really understand why she's here. Like if she's doing the expose or something. Um, and, but these exercises, as I put myself through them, they work. And, and one of the biggest things that I realized from HR is when we have to help people for us to get into that space, we basically let down our guard that allows us to absorb whatever is happening in that space. That's why we're taking in the anger, the sadness, um, the stress, even some of the questioning of our worthiness and confidence, all the different kinds of, I mean, think of all the different kinds of people that you come in contact. And this does transfer through Zoom and video conference. So you're not immune to it just because you're socially distancing right now. Um, and one of the really easy exercises is just imagining that you have a barrier. And this is pretty backwards for some of us because we think if I put up a wall, then I can't be there for people. But it's really, it's this wall that allows you to control what gets to be attached to you, like attached that you get to take home with you. You can still look and understand and interact with it, but not let it kind of penetrate your energetic wall. And so a real simple exercise is just imagining yourself in a bubble. That's really what it is. Um, you know, and you can put it up at any given time. So say I'm in a uh, meeting with a employee and they're just coming in to say hello. And then it's turning into one of those hour long sludge sessions because they're unwinding and telling me something else that's happening at work. Uh, and I can feel it. And you, we all know what that feels like when it starts to come and it creeps in. Even if you're in a meeting with a bunch of execs or leaders, you can start to feel when you're getting kind of slimy. Uh, that's them penetrating your energetic wall. So really just taking a moment and you don't even have to close your eyes and just be like, I'm in my bubble. There's this bubble and it could be two to three inches from your body. It could be a foot from your body. And like, I can still see everything and interact with everything, but it can't touch me. Like I, it's my pre don't slime me bubble. Cause that's essentially what's happening is energetically. We're getting slimed by people because they're just, they're in a state of, um, release. Uh, so it's going to go anywhere. It's just like, they're just swinging it around. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. This is a crazy topic. Um, but I can relate to it so much and it's not something I've ever thought about before. And I know you guys are probably gonna think I'm crazy for this, but I've had that same thought with my glasses. 
I know that might seem crazy, but when I don't have my glasses on, I feel like I am so exposed and everybody can see right through me. But if I have my glasses on, it's almost like a barrier for me. I know that's crazy, but I can relate. No, 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 no. Molly, that's a great example. So there's lots of creative ways people have created these bubbles. So like uh, blazers. So if you turn into like a Mr. Rogers routine where you put your sweater on before you go into the it's a physical ba- like you're imagining you're coated with something. So you're you're protected. Same idea. You're creating a barrier. Um, I do that. I wear like a blazer when I speak, like when I'm talking and I could be like the firing squad of people just sliming me with stuff. I I have to put something physically on or I forget that to mm-hmm. protect myself, essentially. So it's like power ties in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I also think. <laughs> Maybe I also that's the think reverse. This is probably um, I think women specifically can relate to this. And Kyle, Patrick, I'm curious to see your feedback. But especially like women, I think um, high heels is another thing that a lot of women do, um, and or like lipstick. Um, I don't know. I think women can very much relate to this topic. Kyle, Patrick, are you are you with us? I don't think Patrick's on that train. But you know what's fascinating <laughs> about women's like women's accessories? I've even found the correlation to being grounded. So like not wanting to space out yes. and leave because a, a situation's uncomfortable. The uncomfortable shoes keep us firmly grounded to the ground. So I've even made arguments that like I've coached clients actually when you're struggling my female clients to wear these shoes to remind themselves to stay connected to the ground. So yeah, it's amazing how physical accessories can be a a rooting for us energetically. So this is, uh, this is really fascinating for me to, to think through. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily have any sort of like physical coping mechanism, but I do certainly, um, I cope you know, um, with my body, like, I don't like put anything on or anything like that, but like puffing the chest up a little bit, you know, kind of maybe, you know, tensing the, you know, I can see Patrick in his office doing like, you know, arm <laughs> curls before a big meeting, that kind of thing. Like I, for me, it's more like, like just gearing up physically to like go into a really tough situation, almost like a fight or flight response kind of <laughs> And um, I, I mean, this is this is fascinating, but I just had a really, really challenging meeting uh, a few days ago, came home, had just had a, a massive, massive headache. And it was almost like I was I had absorbed all of that negative energy and I brought it home to my family and felt bad about that, you know, and and, and it's some I mean, I, I think all of us in HR have had those days where we feel like we're bringing it bringing it home. So if we can shed it or prevent it, I mean, that, that sounds good yeah. to yeah. me. And if you do get slimed a very easy way, um, and there's, so this is Chinese medicine, this is Qigong. So there's definitely movements that are like Tai Chi that do these things as well. I recognize that those would be a little weird in the work environment right now. I envision the day that maybe we could do that and and it would be embraced. But shaking the body, so if you think of energy, it actually does physically attach. So dance breaks, uh, but any kind of physical, just like shaking it out. They say this is why uh, athletes do that kind of naturally. And when they're shaking their body to prepare for performance, they're actually releasing things energetically, could be emotional from a confidence standpoint, uh, but we instinctively kind of do it. So when you feel slimed, 
like when you get home, just shaking it. If it's the head tapping on the head that hits all the acupressure points in the head, you'll start to feel it kind of dissipate, shaking the hands. Um, so it's just a very, it's weird, but it's, it's effective. Kyle Patrick, <laughs> you better start dancing it out. For me, that's exercise. I think a lot of people can relate to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my uh, my job title to weird but effective. I, I like that. So, Patrick, I, you've got something to say. I, I can tell. I, I'm still going back, scratching my head to the whole high heel thing as as a barrier. I'm a short person for those of you that don't know me. So when I see women wear high heels, I already have a negative bias. So that's kind of where I'm at with that one. <laughs> I think it's something too that I mean, you guys just can't relate to this, but I think there is a there's something to be said for women um, in the HR role who are working with their CEOs and CFOs who are primarily white males. Um, I think women have a harder time than probably you guys have had in your past. I, I think I don't know. You guys probably can't relate to it, but. I'm a part of a I'm a part of a women leadership group, um, and I'm also on a part of a women um, leadership conference planning committee, and we talk about this stuff all the time. Hmm. So it is real. Yeah. One thing I want to know, because um, I think this stuff is good for in the moment, but you you had talked about you know every three to five years that disengagement from an HR professional, and I think that's also very real. Um, and maybe what you're saying is by practicing these little things throughout the day, it can prevent that. But what do you do? Okay, it's you're in that three to five year disengagement slump. How do you get out of it? Um, so if you're in the three to five year disengagement slump, it's in Qigong, they have basically three major steps. It's called purging, cultivation, and regulation. So purging is getting rid of everything that does not serve you or does not work towards your highest good. Uh, and when you are in that slump, you basically have been slimed and you're like the equivalent of a landfill. So um, Qigong, the one that I practice, does have these treatments where people lay on a table and we treat the energy meridians, which is what they use in acupuncture and acupressure. It's the same things, except we don't use needles. It's just hands uh, that are away from the body and we clear the body. And I've worked on HR practitioners over the last two years, and these sessions can take up to two hours for uh, coming back every week for several months to get the system clear because there's that much stuff living in your energetic body. So um, I would say purging is your friend. There is, um, the, you could get your dance breaks, you could get your cardio on to literally shake it out. There's a real simple exercise where it's breathing and starting at the feet. And you basically imagine that your hands are like rakes and you're combing through your energy and then you pull it up to the chest and then you just shake it off and release it down to the earth. So recycling it out, but you're basically imagining that you're clearing your energy and then releasing it out. And when you release it out, you exhale. So it'd be like, inhale, release it out. Um, so it's a lot of purging, which is so strange. We also have like intense purging exercises, which, um, I teach and coach clients on, um, that basically they will spend all that time just getting it out and releasing it. And it's amazing because think of everything you have accumulated in that three to five years 
that's your personal feelings about your work on top of anyone else you've interacted with. Um, and it carries with you no matter if you change jobs. So it doesn't go away. It just stays in your body. So um, this, I had I, I totally forgot about this experience, but um, I did something a, a number of years ago called a drum wash where they like held the drum like in like, played this drum behind my head and then down down to my feet and then back up behind my head and it was the it was the weirdest sensation i literally felt like i was lighter after it was over and i had like the you know if, if you're, you're at a good concert and you get the goosebumps on the back of your neck and you're like this is i am one with the universe i do <laughs> but that was how i felt afterwards and it was so weird and i've never done it since but it felt so good when i did it and uh yeah, I guess That's I thought I was crazy. Maybe I'm not crazy. How did you get yourself into that? <laughs> Give me some context. Okay, the context here. So um, we, uh, when when my wife and I got married, we got married in a non-traditional ceremony, and we actually got married by somebody who was an energy healer, and uh, she was also uh, registered to marry because we we wanted to have a non-traditional wedding. So uh, part of the package was you get a a free, you know get like a tear off coupon you get a free energy um wash or drum wash is what i picked because i'm a a musician (laughs) by dream um not by profession and and so she yeah that's that's how she picked the drum wash for me she said you're you're a musician you're gonna like this and 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 i i mean i was like this is the weirdest thing i've ever done um but leaving there i'm like it was pretty cool and every once in a while i can like i reconnect with that feeling uh, in a different context, like on a morning run or, or, you know, something really special happens or I, I don't know. I, it's hard to explain. It's like, I feel connected with something and it happens again. It's, it's yeah. Weird <laughs> would be the word. <laughs> but you're experiencing like what it happens when you clear and that's where you are at the beginning of that three to five year cycle. So uh, you're getting reconnected to who you are authentically before all the junk is in your body. Um, so yeah, it's really cool that you're explaining. And as you, and you know, Kyle, you just laid it out, you know, you do something w- kind of weird and wonky to one time, but then once you know the, the sensation, then you can identify how you're doing it naturally. Cause your body's going to try to release it naturally throughout your days. And then you can gravitate towards that. Like how Molly said, Oh, that's like car, you know, that's like exercise for me. So, um, yeah, it's interesting how you start to make those connections. I think driving with some good music is another one. Kyle, I definitely related to the music. Yeah, you guys have seen me at a karaoke bar. So, oh, you know, yeah, is, you really, that is your true authentic self. That is your happy place. <laughs> That's my happy place. So how do we find more of the happy place, Sam? What, what's, what's, the, what's the trick? Is it being intentional? Uh, and and focused on on how we continue to um, to attain that, or is it is it about finding the right company, or finding the right space, or finding the right job? What? Yeah, how do we find that in our lives as it relates to work? Um. So, you know, I think that to really find more of that happy place. It's about finding balance within yourself. I mean, I think a lot of us think that there's this magical place that one day we'll find and it has all these things. And really that magical place is as cheesy as this sounds, but inside. Uh, And it's about balance. So thinking about a very basic form of 
Chinese philosophy, this old school yin and yang. I remember this back in grade school. I would have those BFF mood bracelets and we would argue who has the white side or the black side. But we live a yang filled life, active, focusing on go, go, go. How much can we cram into a day? Uh, what's missing is the yin side, which is reflective and sitting in spaces and being connected, having more of that goosebumps on the back of your neck. That's what you want more of. So the actual key is to replicate that sensation. If you zone out and listen to music and it takes you there, do that more and do it on a consistent basis. And we're seeing this with the trends of incorporate a daily practice. But we've seen the extreme of you got to wake up, you got to meditate for an hour, then you got to read like a self-help book, and then you got a journal. And you're like, I don't have time for that. 10 minutes, five minutes a day zoning out to music. If you are generating that sensation of the goosebumps on the back of your neck, then do that. Um, the issue you're going to run into is that most of us are just too tired. Uh, so you're, you've overworked yourself. Uh, the kidneys actually hold your energy reservoirs, which is why at the end of the day, most of us have lower back pain and it aches. Uh, if you think about your kidneys, they basically just dry up like raisins. Um, so you really want to like plump up the kidneys first. And it's really, really easy. You just inhale and imagine that you're inhaling navy blue light and sending it down to your kidneys. Uh, and it sounds so simple, but it actually will generate um energizing the kidneys because the most basic form of cultivating energy is breath. Every time we're inhaling, you are doing Qigong right now. All of us, as we're breathing, taking in new energy, I'm exhaling out stuff that does not serve me. We're just adding a little more intention to it. But once you find that balance, it's amazing. Even if you get closer to it. So yes, the, the, the Supreme is this ultimate balance that I'm 50, 50. Most of us are not there. I'm not there. Probably like what? 40, 60, if I'm on a good day. And it's amazing all these little nuances don't seem as heavy anymore. Um, and also the magnitude of the things you're navigating at work or, you know, getting the buy-in that we were talking about at the beginning, as you become more connected to that sensation and being balanced, it, it comes with this new level of transparency, which you basically get to see this almost like elaborate mind map with all these dotted lines, which is why I think we have this different wiring when we are open to the HR profession of how things are connected and what things have to happen in order for us to obtain by. And you start to see this elaborate kind of map and you can do that in any kind of environment. You also know when the map has a dead end and you got to go jump to another organizational map. So it really starts. And I truly believe it starts with the HR practitioner finding themselves and that balance to be able to navigate it all. Otherwise we're going to just keep being in this cycle and then just keep purging and you'll at least be a little bit better. <laughs> Patrick, what's I've heard Kyle's happy place. What gives him goosebumps? What's yours? Um, I start my day uh, religiously every day. I drop my kids at daycare and go to the gym and I spend an hour. That's my hour. Um, and yes, I listen to very loud music there and when I drive into work and that just kind of sets the tone for my day. Um, and then at the end of the day, when everybody goes to bed, we put the kids down. My wife typically goes to bed around nine o'clock. I usually stay up for another hour. Sometimes I'll YouTube some music concerts and things like that. It's just kind of like my own wind down time. Um, that's the, typically my routine. Patrick, I'm going to get you a drum wash. We'll get that for you. 
Maybe we should bring <laughs> that like into one of our next Disrupt HR events. Ooh, I love it. I love that idea. That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> oh, that's this is this is great. I I love I love this topic. This is so this is so different. And I, uh, but I feel like, you know, as as I'm reflecting on the conversation and I'm thinking about you know energy and and cleansing and bubbles and it's it's all this really kind of flowery language. But then if I correlate that to human resources. We're guilty of using that type of language all the time. It's just different types of buzzwords, right? It's like engagement or empowerment or, you know, um, control what you can control. You know, it's all these like corporate isms. Uh, and, and I'm kind of feeling like it's it's almost the same thing. Uh, we just haven't been practicing it for 5,000 years. So, so do you find that connection between the two as you're, you know, thinking about being an HR practitioner and then thinking about your study into uh, the Chinese medicine? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So we haven't even touched on, I mean, if you want to go, so it's, it's Chinese medicine, you're talking about energy. So the path of Wu is endless. (laughs) And, um, one of the topics that we haven't talked about is intuitive senses. So the um, the typical idea of people who have the gift of sight or the gift of hearing or the gift of knowledge or the gift of uh, feeling. So, but let's take one that's so common for HR practitioners being an empath, which means your ability to experience other people's emotions like they are your own. Um, and when I started talking about this is something that I knew was alive and well in me, I didn't understand it, like why someone could come in and I would just have this like new emotion kind of wash over me and, and where it came from. Um, as I started talking about it, I found that a lot of my friends in the HR world are experiencing the same thing and had no idea for it. Uh, same thing with like, I mean, you know, the intuitive senses are just another sense that we just don't focus and develop, like taking care of our energetic bodies. So gift of sight is not predicting the future, but it's seeing imagery in your in your mind's eye. I mean, I've done this with um, coaching clients, these people who are frontline supervisors, just to see how connected they are uh, by doing visualization exercises and see if they can put themselves in the office and replicate the entire environment and how visual it is seeing it through their mind's eye. But it, it gives you a different perspective on different things. Um, and even the gift of, of hearing, you're hearing at, a, at another level uh, stuff that maybe is missed so incidentally. Um, but what I found is that HR practitioners are having these things happening um, kind of naturally. Like they're like, well, I just had this feeling about this person, or I felt like I had to go check up on them, or I felt like there's something going on at home. Uh, well, how do you know that? I don't know. I just, I just do. Or I, or I, while you're having a conversation, something randomly kind of comes to mind that helps you navigate your coaching conversation. Where does that come from? These are intuitive senses that are developing uh, naturally and opening, but we don't have any formal development in them. So yes, I've seen the correlation and I can't help but wonder if we were a little more open and we can replace the terms. I don't really care what you call the terms, but if we started working with this, tools and and modality, what could be possible? What could you really do as an HR practitioner? What would really limit you? Like these questions about buy-in and engagement and facilitating meetings, you're like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to like just read the room. I'm going to read the energy. I'm going to just 
walk around and I could feel the cultural energy and shift it and navigate it? What if we were really open and it was like, hey, hey, John, you look like you got slimed today by some horrible thing that happened at home. Why don't you come to the treatment room and I'll purge you? I mean, that's real extreme, but could you imagine if like, you're just, you know, like this is, <laughs> I'm gonna do that. this is like a whole other vision of, of the norm, but like, is this what has been missing? I mean, we see employee wellness programs. We're trying to integrate yoga and meditation. We're trying to focus on mental health, you know, energetic body hits on a huge component. So, you know, we're not talking about employee wellness. I'm saying start with the HR, but uh, you know, we have the ability to help people operate at their optimal, just like it's helping you operate at your optimal performance. Yeah, I can relate to that as well. I mean, I think for most of us, we just see and feel things that are going on. And that's very hard to articulate to leaders on the team who are not, who, who don't have that sense. They're like, what? I didn't get that at all. Um, how do you navigate that? Well, that's where your relationships come in key. So all that work that we do to build the rapport and the credibility allows us to have the trust when we need it. And we also have to pick, you got to pick your battles. You know, if you went in like uh, the lady who did the the drum wash, which you know is like an energy healer. If I went in every day and I was like, hey, I saw it. So this is what we must do. You know, it's, it's how do we help bridge that gap. Um, but through the relationships you build, the credibility and the trust, uh, it, it starts to shift. So there's times where like I've worked in a space and every once in a while I'll be like, I don't know if we should do that. I feel like that person's in a really hard space. Um, and maybe they go ahead and, and do whatever they're going to do. And then they start, it, it, it's re- it's uncovered later on what was happening with the employee. And then all of them instinctively think, wow, Sam was right we should have been cautious and now we kind of look like jerks the way that we treated that person. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually it gets to a space where they'll be like, Hey Molly, what are you thinking or feeling? Like if what's the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, you'll start to get those opportunities. My book, the HR intuitive, uh, the intro is written by an HR colleague who thought I was like whacked out. Like she thought I was crazy talking about this stuff. Um, and she, she went with me on a business trip to North Carolina to a manufacturing plant um, where this company paid me to just sit in a room with people just to watch them. And I was reading energy. I didn't say that's what it was, but they heard I did it for somebody else. And they said, there's just something about her. If she just comes and sits in the space. All I was doing was reading the energy. She came to ask questions so that I could watch what was happening in the space and listen with these other senses. Um, And she said, after she watched my report out, she's like, there's something here. Like, and, and the HR intuitive book that I wrote is about laying the foundation for expanding our mindset to be open to the fact that there is more that we are able and capable of doing as HR and also broadening the definition of HR. Um, so it's just, it's interesting. It's a, it's an evolution, and it's also recognizing that you may be at the forefront of that evolution. Oh my gosh, this is just a, this has been so fascinating to explore, and I wish we had another three hours to go through it. But it sounds like if we wanted to continue the conversation, the best th- place to be would be start with the book. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm have to check it out. But um, I do want to shift gears, and we're going to go into the Rebel HR flash round. All right, so prepare yourself. Flash round, question number one. What are you reading right now? I am reading uh, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Do you need me to expand? 
No, but one. you can if you'd like. Um, it's amazing. I think everybody, <laughs> yeah, everybody knows Simon, right? I mean, that's he's he's everywhere. And now he's got all those really cool videos with the flower background, way better than my background. So, uh, but Sam's background is 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 close to as good. So I'm gonna give you some props there, Sam. Awesome. I'll take them. <laughs> All right. Um, question number two. Who should we be listening to? Who should you be listening to? Um, people outside of your normal, like expand your mindset. If you're not, if you don't know who Dr. Brene Brown is, then you should, and you need to listen to her and her conversations. I would say that if you're knee deep in diversity um, initiatives, you should be listening to that audience, go follow them on your social media feeds and podcasts and listen. We have these huge opportunities to just tap into people through podcasts, through audiobooks, listen to the language and the voice. So I would just say anybody, just get curious and go out there. That is the best answer I've ever heard for that question. I love it. I love that. And, and, you know, as I sit here and I'm thinking about listening to podcasts, I just realized about two seconds ago, you totally read my energy when you listened to my podcast and you totally called it out <laughs> ahead of this podcast uh, as far as how I change and react to, to certain situations. So maybe there is something here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question here. It's a really hard hitting one. How can our listeners connect with you? The easiest way to connect with me is to go to leadershipisart.com and check out all of our work there. We are an established community to restore and provide growth opportunities for HR practitioners. So we are 100% serving you and your development. Um, and then on top of that, I have a podcast called The Heart of It Podcast. It's HR Art. That's the spelling for heart, the heart of it podcast, but we bring on guests and we are always talking about how to further our evolution in our practice. So if you liked what we we're talking about here, we hit it from all different areas on that podcast too. Love it. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been a really wonderful conversation and a different perspective that I know our listeners can take away a lot from. So check out uh, the book, The HR Intuitive, and uh, we will have all of that information to connect with Sam in the show notes. Thanks for coming, Sam. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we have No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.